Oh, the musical diversity today. Amazing. <laughs> Covering the gambit. All right, question for you. Taking a poll. No solicitor signs. Good thing or bad thing? Hmm, come on. How many of you have a no solicitor sign on your front door? There's no shame in this. There's no shame. I don't have one on my front door, but that's just because we changed front doors and been too lazy to put it on. And I was watching with, um, I was watching some TV with my daughter about 8.30 at night, 8.30 at night, and there's a doorbell ring, and I'm just instantly like, like, I don't even care who it is. Who's knocking on my door at 8.30? So I go, and it's this, it's this young, kind of young professional kid, probably selling Terminex or something like that, and he's politely a few steps, you know, it's like you never want to be, you're like right at the front door, you ring the doorbell, you go a few steps off, you know, and it's like he's doing all the right things, he's very pleasant, and he goes into a spiel, and I just go, ah, ah. I go, um, thank you very much, we're very busy, not interested, having a little family time here. He goes, oh, okay, well, then I go, no, no, thank you very much, a little busy, have a little family time here, and I close the door, to which my 14-year-old daughter kind of waits a few moments and says, gee, Dad, that was a little harsh. I said, it was not harsh. It was honest. It was clear. You guys don't know what to think about this story yet, do you? She goes, well, I don't know that it was honest, Dad, because you said we were having family time. I said, we were having family time. I was watching Netflix the quarterback series with my oldest daughter, that is family time. <laughs> and then I had to sit with it just a little bit longer and uh, say, you know, I could have been a little kinder about that. Here's somebody just working hard, working hard. And yet, moments like that, you've had those, haven't you? You've had those moments where the doorbell rings, somebody's at your door, and this instant kind of go you know, you just instant want to, you go, like, my home is a barricade. My home is a refuge. And somebody now is trespassing upon what feels like a sacred space. It's a stranger that's come to our door that wants something from us. Tell me that, you've, that you feel that tension, right? And as a dad of three teenage daughters and a beautiful wife and a female puppy dog, like, I just, all the things come out in me in those moments, and yet I am challenged and in constant kind of tension with the story that we find in the scriptures from beginning to end. How do we navigate moments like that? Genesis chapter 18 is this fascinating story. I mean, it's just, it's, a, it's wild. I'm just going to give you the first verse of how it begins, and then we'll just unpack it in story form. But it says this, Genesis 18 verse 1, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. It's just so poetic. I just love the, there's just great economy. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. I uh, just hiked a 14er with some, some folks earlier this week. And uh, let me just tell you, it gets hot in a tent. And so here it is in the heat of the day. Abraham is sitting outside 
and it says, he looks up, he sees three men, right, that are starting to approach. Now, if we leave this passage up, look at it, it says, the Lord appeared, but now it says three men are walking. And Abraham jumps up, and he runs to them, and he literally bows down in reverence. And he, and he essentially says, would you please stay, before you ca carry on in your journey, let me provide for you some food and some drink. And the three visitors, the three men agree. So, so Abraham like knocks on the tent to his wife Sarah's like, hey, can you do that, that, that thing you make, the thing with the flour and the sea and the whole thing, like the, the bakery stuff, like that's really good, runs to a, a servant and says, get the like best calf, kill it, the whole thing. And then under the great trees of Mamre, Abraham sits with these three men and they're having like great bread and Kansas City barbecue. It's just this beautiful moment he's sitting there and then one of these three says where's your wife he goes oh she's inside the tent well i'm here to tell you that a year from now i'm going to come back and your wife is going to be pregnant meanwhile his wife sarah is sitting but inside the tent just beyond the flaps and she hears this and she's <laughs> she just starts cracking up in her pain, this is not like joyful laughter, this is painful laughter because she has been suffering from infertility for years upon years and decades upon decades. And she literally says to herself, like, like God's going to give me this pleasure now. My, my body's worn out. I'm nearly 100 years old. <laughs> to which one of the men say, um, was that Sarah? <laughs> and was she laughing? And she literally like kind of reveals herself, literally says she, she was afraid, so she lied. She goes, no, I was not laughing. And literally one of the guys says, yes, you were. It sounds like the back of a minivan for many parents. No, I wasn't. Yes, you were. No, I wasn't. Yes, you were. And the story continues on. But there's something here that, first of all, is very mysterious. Very mysterious. It says the Lord appeared to Abraham, but it doesn't really say how, because like three, three guys show up. And then... He calls one of them, my Lord, actually, in the passage. And sometimes it switches from men to the Lord to two men. And, I mean, it's like, well, what is it? Is it God? Is it these three men? And I don't know. It's not clear. Like, I have no idea. And I just want to say, if you don't like a good mystery, don't read the Bible. Because there's just some things that are left unexplained. But here's what we do know. That Abraham encountered something holy in this moment. And so Abraham rushed into it with curiosity and he practiced extravagant hospitality. And it all happened right outside the no solicitation sign. It happened beyond his front door. And I think that's a real challenge for us to see actually in that sacred space in that liminal space between what feels like refuge and where i feel safe and stepping out into the unknown like that that's scary but the bible calls us to have new eyes for your address my uh, my friend justin mcroberts he's an author and a, a songwriter he wrote this song called burning bushes Look at these lyrics with me. I just absolutely love it. He says this. Now, it's not just burning bushes. He's referring 
to that moment for Moses when Moses encounters God through a, a burning bush that was inextinguishable. Like it just kept burning and burning and never went to ash. And God spoke to him from the burning bush. He goes, look, now it's not just burning bushes for us, you and for me. The street's on fire, not just one bush. The whole street's on fire. My heart is learning. Every footstep falls on holy ground. And then get this, every house a church where hope is found. Every house a church where hope is found. So what's the address of Shoal, Shoal Creek Community Church? I don't know. Anybody know it? It is, it, ironically, it's Church Road. Anybody know the actual, what is it? Okay, 6816 Church Road, right? What if somebody asks you, hey, where's your church? What if you were to say, well, it's at 6816 Church Road, and it's at 244 Grand Avenue, which would be the, the house I grew up in. What if we literally took that seriously and said, Every house a, a church where hope is found. Now, you might be going, uh, I'm here because I'm in search of hope. Because there's not a lot of hope in my house, and we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But if we're going to have a biblical understanding of where hope can be found, if we're going to have a biblical understanding of what true connectivity and hospitality looks like, we have to actually have a mind shift to say, could we actually step out into that liminal sacred space that feels a little scary out my front door and what might I find? What kind of holy opportunity for hospitality might exist? Because we live in a world where there is just so much pain inside the flaps of our tent. We live in a world where less and less we know even how to relate with one another. See, before there were backyards and privacy fences, there were front yards and tire swings. Before there were garage door clickers, there were front door keys. Before there was air conditioning, there was a front stoop and a cool cross breeze. In that last horrific heat rate wave of a couple of weeks ago, you know, I, I still, the dog still needed to walk. And uh, so I'm out there at 9.30 at night or whatever it is, and it just struck me that if we just did a timestamp, you know, 2023, me walking a dog, and go 60 years before me walking the dog, same time, same heat of the day, um, it was so quiet just two weeks ago. I mean, I just, I didn't see anyone. Why? Because the coolness is inside. If I had taken my dog on a walk 60 years ago, I would have seen every single neighbor. Now, I'm all for air conditioning. I'm not, I'm not complaining. But something in our society and technology is continually pushing us towards what um, old technology gurus and the like call a frictionless society. How can we remove friction from every single encounter? And what is the friction? Essentially, it is human-to-human -human interaction. And so that friction, of course, air conditioning, removes the need to be on a, on a front porch or stoop, and our ability to just order things right with our uh, thumbs also does that. I was on a walk uh, earlier this year with my dog, 
in the rain, and a neighbor, we'll call him Bob, uh, just uh, two houses down, not the friendliest guy, um, incredibly lonely, has no one inside his large home, never has visitors, um, but it, our interactions, you know, we're not, we're not, it's not Mr. Rogers like you saw last week, it's not that, um, but it's, uh, it's essentially courteous, curmudgeon courteous, I don't know if that's a phrase. And uh, I've got my, uh, it's, it's light, light rain, so I've got uh, a hood over my head and I'm walking Ginger, our dog. And I look up and he's on his front porch and I say, I go, hey Bob. And he looks at me and says, F you. I'm sorry, F you. Bob, I, 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 I'm totally, F you. Wait, wait, but F you, I mean, like we're talking in the course of the whole conversation, easily 25, 30 FUs. And I say, um, I'm totally confused now. Is there, is there context behind this? Not that I fully understand. I, I, I did at one point a few weeks prior ask him to take his humongous uh, black lab dogs and put them on a leash because they were attacking our small little four pounder, you know? Um, and he was—he very graciously replied. So I, I like honestly, I have no idea what this is about. And he says, "Get off my property!" And I—and I'm so like, well, first of all, I'm shell shocked, and then secondly, I'm like, "Oh my goodness, we have to talk about this." And I—and I'm on the public sidewalk. And I go, "Well, Bob, I'm—I'm I'm on public property." And he goes, "Well, if this is how we're going to settle it," and he comes and steps off and and starts walking towards towards me. My four-pounder is growling and scared out of her mind, and so am I. And he comes, he's a, he's a tall individual, and, he, and he's just F you, F you. I mean, he's getting my face, F you, if this is how we're going to solve it. And I say, Bob, I'm, I'm not going to fight you. <laughs> but I now have a dog that feels really, like, vulnerable, too. And I say, Bob, I am going to pick up my dog now. And there was something very vulnerable about bending down to pick up my dog with him towering over me, just launching vitriolic FUs, and I do pick up the dog, and I go, is this about this? Is he, he's like, F you, F you, and the only thing I got out of him, I go, what, what, what is wrong? And he just says, you're a dweeb, is what he said. <laughs> I go, well, that's the first thing that I can't really argue with, you know? <laughs> Felt like a dweeb, carrying my four-pounder walking away from uh, the, a potential fight. And, but on, the, on, on my way, I'm like, Bob, we're going to, by the way, I did say his name's not Bob, right? Okay. Um, but I'm like, Bob, we're going to have to talk about this. And you know, your heart is pounding outside your chest. You're replaying the scenario over and over. How could I have done that differently? Um, later that afternoon, my wife gets home from work. We, we walk over, ring the doorbell. He doesn't come. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um. But now the neighborhood is just totally unsafe. It's just totally unsafe. So I call some um, first responder friends and ask for, you know, advise me on this. Um, because there's some things going on like feel unsafe for, for us in our neighborhood and in our home, but also feel unsafe for him. So do we do a wellness check? Because as best we can tell, Bob sits at home, he's retired sits at home, 
he watches the news. He sits at home and he watches the news. He had a heart attack at one point and drove himself to the hospital. There is in our society a chronic and persistent loneliness that is eating us up. Brian Bethune, in an article called The End of Neighboring that appeared in McLean's, here's what he says about the shift that's been happening uh, among us and our neighbors. The evolving modern definition of a good neighbor is no longer someone who is part of your life, someone you chat with over the fence, a reliable shoulder in good times and bad, but someone who doesn't bother you. That's what we define as a good neighbor. Someone who's either in your enjoyment of your home or that's not threatening your property value. I just want you to, for a moment, just hold the Bob story at bay. And I just want you to think about your neighbors. Are they, are they um, a threat to your property value? Or are they a part of the fabric and the network and the texture and the tenure of what it means to be a neighbor? Because what's happening, what Brian Bethune is basically saying is that what is happening in us as it relates to our neighbors is xenophobia. Xenophobia, which is essentially means fear of stranger. Look at this word with me. Xenophobia. Xenia means stranger. Phobia means fear. It just simply means a fear of strangers and that we are increasingly looking at our neighbors in this way. So we more and more seek out the frictionless moments. Well, I can just do this with my thumb. Then I can do this with somebody living across the street or beside me or above me in the apartment. How do we, given moments that like, you've had your own moments with neighbors, hopefully not quite as um, disrupting as the one I've shared. But how do we continue to be like Abraham, who is on the front stoop looking for opportunity of holy? How do we actually shift from this distrust or this xenophobia, this fear of stranger, to practicing simply what we saw from the movie clip from Ted Lasso, simply just a curiosity. Because I went, in my spirit, I went from, um, okay, um, <laughs> like, next time I'm not going to back down, to a sense of, oh God, what is happening in Bob's heart? Oh God, what is happening inside the flaps of this tent? And truthfully, I mean, I had my own FUs inside of me that I had to work out. And I also had this compassion of, and this curiosity of, there's something I don't know. And so I asked some, some, some buddies of mine to pray, uh, invited in our small group, 
a um, couple of weeks go by, there's been no interaction, and I'm out in my front yard raking. And Bob drives by. He kind of stops a little bit in his truck and sees me and then drives on, parks. And then about five minutes later, he um, slowly walks in my direction. And he says, hey, Dan. And I look up. He's standing about 15 feet away from me. I drop the rake, take off my sunglasses, and I walk over, and he says, I owe you an apology. He says, something snapped in me, and it had nothing to do with you. Bob, I appreciate that. Are you okay? He said, no, I'm not. But that's not why I'm here. I just hope we can forget everything that happened. I said, yeah, but Bob, I'm worried about you. He said, well, thank you, but I'm not here for that. And that's essentially where things sit right now with Bob. You see, every single one of us, we have some measure of pain inside the flaps of our own tent. So the call to practice Abrahamic-like hospitality is really difficult and hard because we're going, well, I'm, I need hope. This is why I go to Shoal Creek Community Church. How, how am I supposed to do this? Well, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that Abraham and his wife Sarah had tremendous pain inside the flaps of, of their tent. They were called to leave. It was this most disruptive call of God. Go to the land, I'll show you, okay? Where's that? Well, I'll show you when you go. They left everything. They sojourned through. And through all sorts of peril and famine and mistakes and hardship and pain and decade upon decade upon decade of having a promise that God actually gives Abraham. You're going to, it's going to be through you, through your loins, that all the nations are going to be blessed. You're going to have ancestor upon ancestor. More than the, the stars in the sky are numbered. You're going to have, a, you're, there's going to be a people. And they're going to be called my children. And it's going to happen through you and Sarah, Abraham. And day after day, week after week, month, year, decade after decade. To the point where they are far past dead, the scripture said. From a fertility standpoint. And now you can see why Sarah's not outside the tent. <laughs> You can see that she has her own pain and all she knew, knows to do because she's cried every single tear she's got nothing left. All she knows to do is to laugh. But Abraham goes outside the tent. There's something beautiful about that. Abraham goes outside the tent and that's where he encounters something holy. That's where he experiences actually the promise ultimately being fulfilled because a year later... Their biological son is born, and that promise is fulfilled. And what that man or angel or the Lord, however, whoever it was, that said, I'm going to come back a year from now, and you're going to have a son. The very thing that made uh, Sarah laugh is the thing that actually came true. So they named that son Isaac, which means he laughs. Isn't that cool? That's, that's Isaac's name. From she laughs... In her pain to God saying, or they saying, no, he laughs. God gets the last laugh in this story. But Abraham had to go outside. 
Abraham had to practice what is the, the narrative of the scriptures about hospitality. I want you to look with me at Leviticus chapter 19 as it relates to strangers. Do not take advantage of foreigners or strangers who live among you in your land. Treat them like native-born Israelites and love them as you love yourself. Remember that you were once strangers. You were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. We are called as followers of Jesus to live with that kind of hospitality. Jesus, at the very end, one of the last things he said before he died and was crucified and rose again, calls his people to a level of loving the stranger. Look with me, Matthew chapter 25. Here's what he says. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. When you, he goes on to say, when you've done it to the least of these, those in prison, those without clothing and food, those who are foreigners in the land or strangers, someone beyond your front porch, when you have treated them with compassion and love and dignity and grace and extravagant hospitality, it was as if you were doing it to me. And then I want to show you the Apostle Paul. Here's what he calls the church to do and to be. He says this. This is Romans chapter 12. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. You know what's so cool about this word hospitality? You know what hospitality is in the Greek? Philoxenia. So look with me here. We have this up on the screen. Let's just go to this definition. Philo, like Philadelphia, brotherly love, right? Not that Philadelphia practices that much, but. Plazinia, there's the word stranger again, right? We talked about xenophobia. So now, this, so philozinia is the word in the Greek, in the Bible, when we talk about hospitality. It means love of stranger. Did you know that? It does not mean love of friend. It does not mean love of family. It does not mean just love within those who go to your church. It does not mean love those that you, you trust. Now, do we need some measure of, you know, discernment? Absolutely. But, oh, my goodness, I think we can be pushed pretty far in one direction before we're probably um, lacking some discretion. Let's look at these two words together. And I just want to ask you the question. If xenophobia is stranger fear and philozenia is love the stranger, which way do you lean more? There's something about in our own pain that if we're willing to step out with a level of just simple curiosity, I love how Justin, when he set up this series last, last week, it's just like, just start paying attention. Start paying attention to the things in your own house, the things beyond your house, and walk through your neighborhood, and just practice a level of curiosity and see what happens. And so that's where I want to leave us here today. I know that uh, 
kickoff is just a couple of hours from now. Less than, actually. So would you be willing, in the spirit of shifting from wherever you find some xenophobia in your heart, fear of stranger, would you actually just go, okay, now how do I shift this to philozenia? What's the shift? And by the way, about no solicitation signs and like, I'm going to go get one, put it back on the door. But what if I actually went beyond my door and just practiced curiosity where I'm actually the one interacting with people as they walk by? What if I just put myself out with a spirit of availability like Abraham, right? He might not have reacted the same with those three, three dudes just knocking on the door. And he's like, oh, who's that? But he was out. He had a posture of curiosity and openness. And it led to a blessing for him, for his family, for the story of God, and for the three travelers and what they needed. Now, um, you might be saying, well, I don't know how to do that. And I just want to say it's really simple. Not, maybe not easy because it's going to take intentionality, but it's really, really simple. So I love the fact that um, I didn't know this till Candy showed me when I walked in today. But there's already these initiatives. Like um, there's a gal, a, a friend of Candy's. I don't know if she's also a part of the Shoal Creek community who just literally makes soup and goes out in the front yard. And anyone that shows up can have some soup and they just hang out and eat soup. That's not hard unless you don't like soup or you don't know how to make soup, right? But, I mean, you can do Campbell's soup. But like, um, or there's another initiative, and this is all, like, this is going to be out there in the atrium. Like, go light a fire. You know what's amazing about fire? Fire just draws things out. Like I, like I said, I was up hiking a 14er earlier this week, and just the time around the campfire, there's just something about the, the, the campfire. Just, just like, tell me something meaningful. Tell me something personal. It's like, just things are drawn out when people can sit and stare at a fire. But all you have to do is just find some wood, get a little chiminea or fire pit, you know, and then light a match, and then just pull up a stool. It's not hard. Or my favorite story, this is what my parents do. Um, this came from my dad's business part partner. His name is Dan Rod Rodney. And um, when their children were little, this is so great. Friday afternoon, wife is completely just, you know, at her wit's end. She's had the kids all week and all this. She's just exhausted. So she says, kids, and they're like five and six years old, just like go out in the front yard, just play and wait till dad gets home. Um, by the way, you might go, this sounds very dated in terms of like roles, and it is. It's like 40 years old, this story. Um, she's so exhausted, she grabs a lawn chair, a bottle of wine, and a glass. And she goes, sits in her driveway <laughs> to watch the kids with a glass of Merlot and a bottle at her feet. Now, the couple that always walks their dog at 5 o'clock, they walk by, they've scarcely said hello, but they see the bottle on the ground and the glass in the hand, and they, they say, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> and before you know it, they've pulled up, you know, a, 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 you know like one of those um, uh, Home Depot buckets, flip it over, they're sitting down, and, and then the jogger walks by and, or runs by and stops, and before you know it, before her husband's gotten home, there's like 15 neighbors 
And they're just like, oh, here, I, I've got chair, and oh, here, I've got chair. And someone's like, oh, I've got a bottle and the whole thing. And then it becomes this thing where, and, and the, the rules were awesome. The rules were, we don't plan it, we don't schedule it, you're not allowed inside, there's no food, just bring a bottle and a chair. If you don't have one, we'll find a stump or a log or whatever. And they called it yard wine. And uh, my parents have been doing this like for decades now in their neighborhood. And it's just amazing. It's just so simple. Now, this is not for the overglorification of alcohol, but um, man, if we want to meet our neighbors where they are, if we want to draw people outside the pain of their own tents, out into the open, will it be soup? Maybe. Will it be fire? Will it be yard wine? This is the actual um, sign that they make. So what they do is they just literally... When somebody, somebody will grab the flag, go, oh, I'll host next time. And when they feel up for it, they just stick it in their front yard. So when everyone drives off to work, um, they go, oh, Yardwine, it's at the, the Diebel's house. Or Yardwine, it's at the Miller's house. And, and then they just, they just roll. It's not hard, but it also requires some intentionality. Just to unzip the flap of your tent, come on out with your own stuff. Be authentic and real about who you are, where you are, but see if you might just be stepping into something holy. See if you might just be in a posture of curiosity. See if you might, in simplicity, be offering to someone else what feels like extravagant hospitality, a loving of the stranger just beyond your midst. And you might be going, I don't have time for that, Dan. Do you know my schedule? I go, probably. I love how Barbara Brown Taylor puts it. I'm going to leave you with two quotes here. Uh, Here's what she writes in an altar of this world. She's a wonderful author, and here's what she says. No one has time for this, of course. No one has time to lie on the deck watching stars. Or to wonder how one's hand came to be. Or to see the soul of a stranger walking by. Or to see the soul of a stranger walking by. Small wonder we are short on reverence. Small wonder we don't encounter the holy. The author of Hebrews in the New Testament harkens back to this Genesis 18 story and offers you and I this. And by this I close Here's what the author writes from Hebrews chapter 12. Or maybe it's 13. There we go. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Every house, a church where they can find hope. And when we open up our house, we just might find that hope too. So Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit to descend in really meaningful and rich and thick ways. We ask for there to be a spark of creativity about what's my version of soup? What's my version of fire or wine? I'm sure there's some great grillers in this community. 
those who love to smoke meat and maybe just move, move the smoker from the garage or the backyard to the front, see what happens. Maybe it's a game of wiffle ball in the backyard, you're going to move to the front. God, would you give us just maybe courage to see our homes less as refuge and more as a church, as a place where you dwell, where we can encounter the holy, experience you and blessing in our vulnerability, authenticity, and perhaps entertain angels without even knowing it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.